Welcome to Oklo's podcast. I'm Bonita Chan, the Director of Marketing and External Relations at Oklo. In this episode, I got to sit down with Jackie, the Director of Government Affairs, to talk about her work in policy and government relations. We hope you enjoy this episode. I am so happy that I get to spend some time with you today outside of our regular check-ins so that I can get to know you a little bit more, even though I feel like I've known you forever. (laughs) But the reality is you only joined us not that long ago from Third Way, where you served as a senior policy advisor there. And during your time there, you did some really impactful work advocating, designing policies that will cultivate innovation and help with the deployment of clean energy technologies with a special focus on advanced vision. So I want to start this interview off with your time there at Third Way, but also your journey before Third Way so that we can get a glimpse of what may have inspired you along the way to join us at Oklo. Yeah, I'm happy to tell that story. It is certainly a winding path with lots of sort of twists and turns that that got me to where I am today. And I'm really grateful for that. And a lot of that uh, involved me sort of uh, walking through doors that may have seemed um, strange at the time, willing to take risks and sort of follow my nose, if you will. So to start, um, so I'll go back and start with sort of pre-third way and how how I how I ended up working on nuclear in the first place. And so um, I was born and raised in rural Eastern North Carolina, a town called, which isn't so rural anymore, it's grown quite a bit, but a town called New Bern in the coastal area of North Carolina. Um, got my undergraduate degree at East Carolina University where I majored in history. And through that program, uh, developed a very big interest in the Cold War. And along with that, obviously comes learning about nuclear weapons. I always sort of had a interest in disaster writ large. Um, I think part of that came from growing up in an area that was consistently hit with very large hurricanes Mm. um, and often taking part in efforts to clean up after those. Living through them was pretty scary a few times as a kid. I grew up with an appreciation um, for not only um, the devastation that comes from something like a hurricane, but also the immense efforts it takes to to deal with, with cleaning up afterwards and and sort of getting folks back to some sort of normal. And so after my degree in history, um, I originally thought I wanted to go and be a professor. Um, I kind of had it in my head that I was going to be the female Indiana Jones um, somehow, Uh, (laughs) but quickly learned actually through honest conversations with my professors that the really exciting stuff that we were covering in class was not at all what they were working on in their own portfolios. They were working on journal articles for months that maybe 20 people in the United States would read on a very niche (laughs) subject. And that just wasn't as interesting to me. So I ended up going to North Carolina State University and got my master's in the international relations program there. And when I first entered the program, my thoughts were to go into international disaster relief. I I really had a passion for that. I had done some work uh, through organizations in Mexico and um, and other places, and, and of course here in the U.S., and I thought that was really my lane. And so after this really large earthquake that happened in Nepal a number of years ago, I traveled there to work with an organization that was um, really heavily involved in the immediate relief um, in Kathmandu, um, where there were just absolute streets and streets that were just crumbled um, from from this earthquake. And so I went there bright-eyed, thinking this is the beginning of my my potential career path. 
Um, and what I actually ended up doing was returning in a complete crisis because I actually realized that wasn't what I wanted to do um, from that trip. It was a great experience, but um, I learned, you know, really what my sort of capacity is for envisioning that lifestyle long-term. Um, so much of the disaster relief community is essentially living on a stipend, moving from disaster to disaster. Um, it's very gypsy-like, um, which sounds romantic, but in reality was, was I learned that that wasn't really what I was cut out for. So I came back pretty much in crisis. Um, luckily had two professors that were just amazing at that moment in my life, encouraged me to take classes that I was simply interested in, take a semester, take a breath. Um, and I ended up taking a class in nuclear nonproliferation policy. Um, and that was the class that kind of changed it all for me. Um, I realized that this was sort of a space where certainly I could still work on helping to prevent mass disaster if we're talking about arms control and nonproliferation policy. And so it was kind of still in the bucket that I had been sort of thinking in, but in a very different way. After I got that class, um, I was very lucky to be at a university that has a fantastic nuclear engineering program. So I had access to brilliant minds that could teach me how these technologies actually worked, which has proven to be immensely valuable um, in every step of my career. And so I applied and, and got an internship at the Stimson Center here in Washington, D.C., another think tank here, uh, ultimately ended up helping lead their nuclear security uh, work at that think tank for the first part of my career here in D.C., um, and the nuclear security work that I was working on was heavily focused on industry, on the civilian sector. And so I uh, got to know a ton of folks in the nuclear energy industry, both here in the U.S., but also abroad, um, uh, working on really interesting things like security culture, um, especially for nuclear country or countries that have never had nuclear, that were thinking about um, having nuclear power for the first time. And it was actually through that engagement with nuclear industry that I learned about advanced nuclear reactors, something I never, I think I never would have known about if it hadn't been for that turn. Um, I think that's when I heard about Oklo for the first time too, and a number of other, other companies. And so I found myself at a place in my career where I knew I still wanted to work on nuclear, but I was quickly becoming more interested in finding a way to help innovative nuclear technologies find a path forward. And I really wanted to find a way to work on climate change too. And so I kind of see, saw and still see um, the two greatest threats facing our planet and humanity as nuclear weapons and climate change. I still see that. And so to me, um, the role that nuclear energy can play in addressing one of those and also looking at the baggage that nuclear energy carries from the other makes working at this nexus a very, very, very um, interesting sort of place to, to be. And, um, and so I thought to myself at the time, well, what job could possibly ever exist that would allow me to work at the nexus of all of this? And it just so happened that um, a, a friend of mine, Susie Hobbs Baker, um, who was working at Third Way um, at the time on nuclear issues, she and I had a coffee one day, uh, Farragut Square, and <laughs> that coffee led to another coffee um, with Josh Freed, who's the director of the climate program at Third Way. Um, and essentially, like, I was offered a position to do exactly what I was hoping might exist someday. Um, wow. And so, yeah, so I ended up at Third Way, where I was truly working on not only advocating for um, the, you know, development and deployment of advanced reactors, but also working a lot on what, um, you know, security applications and safeguards applications look like. Um, in this new field, security by design, safeguards by design, we hear those terms a lot. Um, and so that was 
a really exciting thing for me to get to, to sort of pull some things from, from what I had been working on at Stimson together with the new things that I was working on um, at Third Way. And um, it was my first week on the job. They sent me out west uh, to a conference in California. And the very first two people I met at that conference were Caroline and Jake from Oakland. I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, I think I had, I walked into like the, the opening night sort of, um, you know, networking thing. And, um, you know, for folks that know me know, I'm certainly not shy at an event like that. And will happily walk up and strike up a conversation with just about anyone. And they were the first table I came to. And, um, you know, that conversation turned into, you know, several, a couple hours of just getting to know them. And, you know, we became fast friends and it was really exciting to, to get to continue to closely observe everything that was happening at Oakland while I was at Third Way. That was a big part of that job was um, certainly uh, having relationships with the various companies that are leading the way on deploying these technologies, um, becoming very familiar with not only the technology itself, but of course, all the challenges that this, this new generation of nuclear is facing. Um, I also did quite a bit of work um, while I was there on advocating to keep our existing, you know, nuclear plants mm -hmm. online. Um, but overarchingly, it was working closely with the other NGOs in DC that are working on advanced nuclear. And, you know, Third Way provided me with a really fantastic platform to focus on advanced nuclear. But because of the way our program was structured and because of sort of the broader um, climate and clean energy issues that we worked on, I was really provided with an opportunity to see how the role of advanced nuclear fits in with a much larger sort of scope um, of, of uh, sort of things that we need to be doing to, to meaningfully address, address climate change. Definitely. You've done so much. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate you diving into your journey before Third Way. It's it's incredible. And without a doubt, I'm sure it was just so fulfilling doing what you did at Third Way, specifically just driving forward policies that will cultivate innovation, drive innovation, but also help with climate change with the deployment of clean energy technologies. What I would love to learn from you is working at an environment with an NGO I imagine it being very different from working in the private sector like Oklo and a startup environment. What made you interested in making the switch? Yeah, so, I mean, I've told Jake and Caroline this a number of times. We started talking about me potentially coming over to Oklo a few months before, before I actually did. And I absolutely love Third Way still, and I, you know, really enjoyed my, my work there. Um, but what I found through that work um, was I developed a really strong desire to more practically focus on helping a technology get across the finish line and be deployed. I wanted to be more directly involved um, with that. And Oaklo specifically stood out to me for a number of reasons, one of which is all of the companies are exciting. You know, I'm, I'm, I love that there are, um, you know, so many different stakeholders in this space pushing for, for new technologies. Oklo is pushing the boundaries on every front when it comes to, to nuclear, in my opinion. And so, of course, that's on the technology front, right? It's really exciting to see uh, these new reactor designs. But in order for the nuclear industry to thrive, um, especially in a, you know, in a future where it's so needed for addressing climate change, we really need to be thinking in new ways and changing the way we operate 
on a number of in a number of ways. And Oaklo's doing that, in my opinion. Um, and so that's everything from our business model to the way that we're engaging with the regulator and to the way that we're engaging with communities and having conversations about things like environmental justice. And so I had sort of formed these opinions on my own through the work I had a third way of what I believed um, or what I hoped the nuclear industry might look like in you know 10 years. And Oakla really embodies that. Um, and so when I say you know, the business model or when I talk about um, how we engage with the regulator, how we engage with communities, our business model is very different from what we see today, right? Um, traditionally, and through the whole history of, of nuclear power, um, you know, reactors are designed and then sold typically to utilities who build these large mega projects and then add that to their, you know, sort of um, toolbox of putting electrons on the grid, right? And what's so compelling about what Oakla was doing to me was that this notion of fission as a service, right? Um, and actually being able to um, offer the heat and electricity, the carbon-free heat and electricity from one of our reactors and offering it without the burden that, you know, typically um, countries or companies or whatever would have to go through to um, have all the moving pieces that typically a company wanting to do something like that. Um, and so to me, it really is about accessibility to, um, to reliable carbon-free energy that can be used for a number of, of applications. So that was really groundbreaking. And that, that was a big draw for me. And then, of course, with the regulator, you know, it's, um, it's inspiring. I was genuinely inspired um, by Jake and Caroline. I constantly tell them they're nuts. Um, and they say, well, you must be crazy too if you decided to come work for us. Um, but seeing, <laughs> you know, looking back on their journey and where they started, um, to be able to look at a, an industry that was so established and grounded in the way things have always been, looking at a regulator that is completely structured around these large traditional light water reactors and saying, you know what, I think that we're just going to go and forge a new path there, we can do it, is so inspiring. And, um, and yeah, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a part of that and the timing felt right. Um, and I, I won't lie, like it's a super exciting time to join the company, right? Like we're, we're rapidly approaching deployment of our first reactor. So I feel incredibly lucky to have come on board sort of riding this wave. Absolutely. Innovation can happen in so many different formats in our business model, in the way that we approach licensing, all of those things. So yeah, you're right. We're in such an exciting chapter at Oakflow right now. And with our license now being accepted for review last year and the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission being mandated to review an application like ours within three years, it's within no time we'll be turning yeah. on our first power plant, which is so, so exciting. We actually participated in a webinar co-hosted by Third Way and the Breakthrough Institute on licensing recently. And one of the narratives that keep coming up again and again is the role that the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission plays when it comes to the climate what are your thoughts on that? What do you think NRC's role is when it comes to climate change? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, so that was a great webinar. And former commissioner Bill Magwood said something in that that stood out to me. And he, um, you know, he's, he kind of checked me and checked us a little bit and said, look, you know, he's not denying that, that you know, NRC doesn't have a role to play in, in climate change. But first and foremost, right, the, the role that NRC has is to ensure you know, the safe operation of, um, you know, or, or the public safety, right, which is absolutely true. Um, but I tend to think about this 
um, in a slightly different way. So as I mentioned earlier, Jake and Caroline um, inspire me because of their um, absolute tenacity in thinking about taking on, um, you know, a very established system that has been operating in one way for a very, very long time and trying to do something new and different. And that theme to me is something that we need to see across systems globally if we're going to meaningfully address climate change. And so it's important for me to be working for an organization that walks the talk, if you will, right? And so when I look at our engagement with the NRC and I look at how much work's already been done even before our license application was accepted, um, and, and the moment that we're in right now, that webinar um, gave Caroline a chance to talk about something that sounds super wonky, but is really important, which is the um, hopefully soon to be accepted methodologies that we've submitted um, as part of our license application. This kind of gets us to like the end of step one of our license uh, review. Um, and essentially what these methodologies do is lay out that new path, that new um, sort of process for the NRC to review our reactor design, right? Um, and so that's really important because while yes, there is a new rulemaking going on for a new entirely different um, uh, pathway for, advanced, uh, for licensing advanced reactors, um, we're doing this now and we're not the only ones, right? There are other companies that are following closely behind us. And so, and none of them plan on using part 53, this other uh, sort of licensing pathway because it won't be finished in time. And so getting the advanced reactors to market that we need this decade really depends on having this new methodology, this new way of thinking about, um, you know, licensing reactors successfully put into place. Um, here at the NRC. And so, as I said, this is very emblematic to me of changes that we need to see across governments, across industry, globally, um, if we're going to come anywhere near close to addressing climate change in the way that I hope we will. Um, and so, it's exciting to see um, the NRC has been doing a really great job, right? Like, for, for such a large bureaucracy, for such a large agency to truly um, roll up their sleeves and work with us and, and um, acknowledge that it's time to start thinking about, you know, things in new and different ways and how we can ultimately transform our processes to make sure that we are, you know, providing an efficient pathway for innovation, for innovative technologies um, is incredible. And I don't think it will be happening without Oklo. Because you can have conversations till the day is done about what it could be like, right? Um, there's so many conversations amongst the NGOs about what do safeguards by design look like? What could it look like to, you know, build in security to, to a reactor? And at the end of the day, we aren't going to know until we do it. And that's very true for engagement with the NRC as well. And so I think by Oklo um, just going for it, right and submitting this license application and like really going through this process um providing not only us of course with um a really exciting opportunity to have a license to go and build these but also nrc right this is a really great opportunity for for the regulator to put into practice things i think they've been thinking about for a long time um and so to answer your question in a long roundabout way 
Um, I really believe what the NRC is doing right now by opening up and thinking about how to change and find new pathways and work, work with new companies to, to think about new technologies and how to efficiently regulate um, and license them is something that organizations and industries and governments across the world could, could learn from. Um, and, and hopefully it's inspiring to, to folks, folks everywhere. You, you highlighted two major things there with our application. We did, like you said, so well to go in to the NRC and work with an existing regulatory framework that was developed based on large light water reactors that look so and operate so differently from what we're trying to license and deploy. So in order for us to do that, with brand new application structure, with new methodologies, we came out with our application, which was accepted for review, by the way, which is very promising because the NRC has never rejected an application that they have accepted for review. But our application was 20 times shorter. And because of that, cost us 100 times less when it comes to development costs. So those efficiencies really, really matter at the end of the day when it comes to deploying. And you talked about processes as well, because the goal here is to not just deploy one, one power plant, is to commercialize and deploy a suite of them to in order to really make a difference on the climate. So all of those things is really exciting that we're driving forward. But for us to close off this interview, I did want to close off with a question that I'm personally very inspired to ask you. You've shared really adorable, beautiful photos of your baby boy, Jameson. You just had your baby boy. And with so much on your plate, with your new job, transitioning and settling in at Oklo, and also being a new mom, there's so much going on. I mean, how do you even do it all? But also, are there certain parts about your role that you think will impact Jameson's future? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, sure. No, happy to talk about that. Uh, I, yeah, I think people probably thought I was a little bit nuts um, at the time. I, I think I was eight months, seven months pregnant when um, I let everyone know I was making the move over to Oklo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's just do all the big life changes at one time. Um, but it was, uh, you know, he's certainly top of mind for me in, in everything that I do now. Um, and, you know, it's definitely been an adjustment to, it, it's a major mind shift of going from having this wonderful, uh, experience and bringing him into our family, um, you know, and then making the, the shift back to thinking about work. Um, it's so much easier to do that, though, when I know that I'm working on something that has deep meaning, not only for myself, but I think ultimately for our world and the challenge of the biggest challenge humanity's ever faced, I think, um, in addressing climate change, right? And so it helps me you know, get out of bed after getting three hours of sleep from a rough night, um, you know, to, to, to still feel motivated and get up and get on those calls and, um, and do the work because ultimately um, I care very deeply about ensuring that my child and his children are able to still grow up in a world that somewhat looks like the one that I've known. You know, I, I really want um, not only for, for him and, and the folks here in our own country to continue to, to be able to 
breathe clean air and have access to um, reliable energy that is clean and that ultimately enables us to hopefully be a leader in the world on this transition. But it's also incredibly important for me to see and, and be able to tell him um, when he's older that I really tried and, and, and worked for a company that was committed to, to hopefully making that clean energy accessible to, to all different types of communities. Um, and so that, that has a big motivating factor for me. Um, you know, I did um, some really fun and exciting work with an organization called Energy for Growth Hub when I was at Third Way. And this is an organization that focuses a lot on energy poverty um, and sort of how to make sure that we're addressing energy poverty while also looking to um, address climate change. And I feel like there is a very, very um, significant role for our technology, for Oaklo to play um, in that nexus. And um, in large part, that is because, you know, we're looking at developing countries or emerging markets that are on the cusp of really growing their economies um, and emerging from, from energy poverty. And I think a lot of people think of energy poverty, um, mm. you know, or addressing energy poverty as, well, let's just make sure that folks have solar panels on the roof so they can turn a light on at night and they can, you know, study or read. And that is important. But when we talk about energy poverty, we're talking about making sure that countries, right, have the energy they need to build industry um, and to ultimately grow their economies. And that requires more than just rooftop solar. Um, and I think advanced nuclear has a really significant role to play in that. So it makes me feel better about having to leave Jameson for, you know, hours at a time and then eventually leaving him for travel and whatnot, whatever else, because I'm going to be proud one day to be able to talk to him about the role that I was playing in not only deploying clean energy here at home in the United States, but also making sure that, you know, we were making that accessible to, to emerging markets um, so that they can pursue a carbon-free future while also uh, still being able to lift themselves out of uh, poverty as well. So um, yeah, that's a pretty broad broad view, but um, it, it certainly helps um, for sure, uh, especially on those uh, mornings with three hours of sleep. What you said there is, it's really inspirational. Thank you so much for taking this time to allow me to ask you all of these questions and sharing all of your amazing thoughts. I really appreciate it. That's been great. Thank you.